following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. You are my child whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. Those words spoken over Jesus by a voice from heaven just after he is baptized, while he's praying, while the Holy Spirit is on him in bodily form like a dove, those words spoken over and about and to Jesus. Friends, what I want you to hear today is that those words are spoken over and about and for you too. Not only Jesus, but you too are God's child whom God dearly loves. In you, God finds happiness. In you, because of you, God is overjoyed. You are God's beloved child. God delights in you. Throughout these past few weeks, since the beginning of December, the first Sunday of the season of Advent, we have been in worship together responding to the question, how does a weary world rejoice? We started by acknowledging our weariness, our own personally and the world's weariness, admitting that this world and our lives, they are not all joy all the time. We carry anxiety and grief, sickness and anger, broken relationships, spirits, hearts, our world is weary with violence, with injustice, careless exploitation of the goodness of creation so that even, even the earth itself, its air and water and land, all are crying out for relief day by day. And yet, while all of that is very true and must never be ignored, it is also true that we are capable both of experiencing and expressing joy. There is goodness even amid our violence. There are selfless acts of kindness and generosity, even amid our injustices. There is companionship, even amid our sorrows. Even our suffering itself can be an occasion for joy as we care for each other, as we care for the planet through those experiences of hardship, as we help each other carry our heartbreaks, as we bind ourselves to each other through our common experiences of sorrow. And so after first acknowledging our weariness, we have then been affirming opportunities for joy amid that weariness. Joy through our connections with each other and with God. Joy through allowing ourselves to be amazed, living in curiosity and wonder. Joy through music, singing stories of hope in the direction of God's dream. Joy through hospitality, giving thanks to God that, that God makes room for each of us and gives us a role in God's ongoing salvation story and joy through grounding our lives in rituals, in those sacred actions that connect our lives with God's life and, and with the shape of God's new creation. Underneath each and every one of these, though, when we get to the very core, the source of our joy is, is more fundamental than any of these things that we've been talking about over these past few weeks. Ultimately, ultimately, the source of our joy is our identity. The source of our joy is, is who and whose we are. In the beginning, in the end, and, and all the way through, our joy is rooted in the absolute truth that we are beloved, that we belong to God. 
Our joy is discovered in hearing and in trusting God's voice, a voice that is always speaking over us, to us and about us, saying, you, you, you are my child whom I dearly love. In you I delight. Yet unfortunately, it isn't always easy to hear that voice. It isn't always easy to trust that voice, to claim that truth, to live our lives in response to it. Because the truth is, that isn't the only voice that's speaking. Lots of other voices also try to speak their way into our lives. Manipulative and and controlling voices, greedy, power-hungry, destructive voices, voices that try to divide us from each other, that try to separate us from our truest selves. This baptism of the Lord Sunday is an invitation for us to remember that those other voices, those voices are speaking lies. All those voices that tell us that we are in any way not good enough or or not accomplished enough or not smart enough, not not good looking enough, not young enough, not old enough, not skilled enough, or not skilled enough anymore. All those voices that tell us that we are in any, any, any way not enough. Every time that we think or feel that, we must dare to say to ourselves, all these feelings all these feelings, strong and persistent as they may be, they are not telling me the truth about who I am. All these voices, dominant and insistent as they may be, they are not telling the truth. For the truth, the truth, even though I may not be able to feel it right now, even though maybe I've never really felt it in my core, the truth is that I am God's beloved child that I am precious in God's eyes, I am cherished in God's hands, I am one in whom God delights. Whatever other words are spoken to us or about us, by people we know, by sound bites in the news, by laws and legislation, by our own self-doubts and interferes, whatever other words are spoken to us or about us, God's word for us always is love. Unconditional love, unshakable love, unlimited love. We are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And as we grow to trust that truth about ourselves, our belovedness, we are then freed to live like it freed to share that love, freed to risk ourselves for that love, freed to perceive and to help reveal others' belovedness too. After Jesus hears that voice naming and claiming him as God's beloved child, the Holy Spirit, if you recall the story, sends him out right away into the wilderness where he's tempted by the very same voices that tempt us as we struggle to recover and to trust our belovedness. Voices of safety and security, voices that promise position and privilege, those other lying voices, they become very loud in the wilderness, trying to convince Jesus that that he is what he accomplishes, what he does, or that he is what others say about him, either positively or negatively, or that he is what he has, his possessions, his access, his power. But through the gift of his baptism, Jesus has embraced his truer identity, that he is God's beloved child. And so he knows, he trusts, that who he is doesn't come from any of these other things. He knows that he is more than his successes or failures. 
He is more than what he does. He is more than what others say about him or what he has. He is God's beloved child in whom God delights. And that's who you are too. And so just as Jesus did, we can trust that truth. We can claim and trust who and whose we are. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he'll be both praised and criticized, but he keeps trusting his belovedness. Whatever happens, good or bad, whatever anyone says about him or does to him, first and foremost and fundamentally, he knows that he is God's beloved child. And that truth liberates him. That truth empowers him to live in this world and to love this world that keeps on rejecting him and mocking him and trying to steer him this way and that and and spitting in his face and finally even crucifying him. None of that, none of that changes who he is. Through it all, he is God's beloved child. And so it is for us. There is nothing that we can do or fail to do. There is nothing that can be said about us or done to us. Nothing that will ever change the truth of who and whose we are. You are God's beloved child. And as we learn to trust that belovedness, it frees us and empowers us as it did for Jesus. Always leads us to a deeper desire to bless and to love those around us. To speak good things to and about others. To listen and to make space for others to call forth their dignity and beauty and truth. When we are in touch with our own belovedness, we discover joy in loving and blessing others. I realize this morning I'm in a university town in a room filled with current and former teachers, so bear with me. I'm not sure how this next illustration will work for you, but, but Ross Gay, whom I've quoted before, who's a professor of English at Indiana University, writes in an essay about how he begins each and every semester that he's going to teach by telling his students that they will all be receiving A's. And he describes how that knowledge changes the whole classroom, the whole learning environment. Now, some students, he admits, simply stop coming to class when he tells them that. But, but for the vast majority, they are much more engaged as learners. Instead of being concerned primarily with giving the teacher what they think he wants from them, they are freed instead to take risks and to be creative as they learn. When class is not a site of evaluation, gay writes, but one of mutual bewilderment, encouragement, support and witness, that is, unabashed being with, unabashed care, he says we learn better and we learn together what it is we really need to learn. They become open and curious together as teachers and learners instead of being merely compliant. When our deepest truth is that we are beloved, we've already gotten that A. When our greatest joy and peace come from trusting that truth, we don't have to prove our worth. And then our belovedness becomes visible, tangible in the ways that we live. How we eat, how we drink, how we talk and love, how we play and work and care for God's creation. Instead of excluding others in an attempt to keep ourselves in some way safe, we can risk including everyone. Instead of devaluing or putting down our neighbors, trying to prove that we are somehow better or justified in our fears of them, we can rest in the truth that I am cherished. And guess what? You are too. Because God's love is more than big enough to hold us both. Instead of endlessly competing, defining ourselves by what we do or by what we have, we can 
we can be compassionate and generous instead. Instead of needing to defend ourselves through violence, we can follow where Jesus has led, responding to violence with nonviolence, trusting that love can be the only response, both of and to God's beloved. And though our minds may struggle to come to grips with all of this, that's probably just as well. Our minds may never understand it, but our hearts can receive it. And our lives can respond, reflecting our belovedness outward. As we grow to trust our belovedness, we become better able to perceive the belovedness of every other. And we discover a deep and growing desire to affirm in others, to reveal for others their belovedness too. It's the great joy and freedom of trusting who we are. The gracious discovery that every bit of creation is beloved by its creator. The very same one who spoke all creation into being is speaking us into belovedness. You are God's beloved child. That's who you are. Before anything, after everything, that's who you are. You are God's beloved child in whom God delights. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.com.